0: What's going on, folks? Thanks for hitting that download button and checking out a brand new episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade, your one-stop shop for toys, tech, and talk with some assembly required. I'm your host, Rich, and if this is the first time you're checking out an episode, first of all, welcome. Thank you for taking the time to check us out. Second, a bit about what we do here. Toys and Tech of the Trade is an interview series where we sit down with content creators, entrepreneurs, and just awesome folks that are on our radar and discuss the gadgets, the gear and the tech that they use to run their businesses, create content, and more importantly, be more productive. Now, when it comes to the toys aspect of this podcast, it's not just the usual action figures, model kits, all the stuff you think of when it comes to toys, but it's the stuff that we consider toys that we uh, collect, obsess over. It puts a smile on our face, whether it's you collecting jet skis, guitar picks, kitchen knives, Hummel figurines, You name it, everyone's definition of toys is different, and we embrace that more general definition here on the podcast. It allows us to connect with our guests on a more personal level, plus it allows us to break up a lot of that business talk and entrepreneurship talk that is part of this show. With that intro out of the way, I want to get into some housekeeping and jump right into this week's guest. I want to take a moment and thank everyone who checked out our last episode with Josie's boy, Uh, from painted in blue tony is an incredibly talented individual and i really wanted to do my part to introduce his brand and the work he's doing to you folks i think that what he's doing and the pivot that he made is just truly inspirational and i mentioned it during the the podcast with him and i continue to say it now i drew inspiration during some of the darker times of of 2020 from What Josie's boy was doing, he he inspired me by showing that sometimes you got to go 10 toes in and, and make the sacrifices to really see your dream come to fruition. And it was very inspiring for me. And I draw inspiration from all of my guests for different reasons, whether it's new approaches, new methodologies, just new ways of being. And if you're not taking something away from every guest you talk to, in your podcast, then you really need to evaluate the kind of folks you have on your podcast because you should always be learning, you should always be looking to level up, whether it's personally, professionally, hell, even spiritually. So definitely seek out those kind of folks that make you better either intentionally or in some cases unintentionally. I was was so, so, so happy to see the amount of positive feedback and the download numbers for that. It was, again, just truly a testament to the work that Josie's Boy is doing, and I am honored and privileged that I had the opportunity to share that with all of you. Now, last week I mentioned it, and I'll continue to mention it. I know many people have asked about working with us, getting podcasts up and running, et cetera. I'll keep it short and sweet to not eat into uh, any of our guest time. But if you are interested in starting a podcast or joining the RageWorks Podcast Network, Shoot me an email, rich at RageWorks.net, or if you're on Instagram or social media and you see RageWorks there, you can shoot a DM there. Either myself or someone from the team will reply, or at minimum, they will relay the message to me and I will reply to you and answer as many of your questions as possible. So if you are looking to start a podcast like what we're doing at RageWorks and want something that's turnkey, takes a lot of the weight off of you and allows you to create your best podcast without worrying about hosting, equipment, everything else. Let us do that for you. Well, let me rephrase that. I can do that for you and uh, help you get your podcast up and running with minimal effort. And more importantly, very, very stress free. All you have to do is double down on your content and we at Rageworks will take care of everything else. All right. With that said, we are going to kick off our brand new Long Island Networker series, and this week's guest is someone who was a no-brainer to have, and um, I think our conversation was incredibly, incredibly enlightening, and and it was something that I'm glad I had the opportunity to do, and you'll be hearing more about this guest in future episodes of Toys & Tech of the Trade, plus much more. So without any further ado, I'm going to shut my mouth and I'm going to turn it over to this week's guest and you can learn about the toys and tech of their trade. We're kicking off our showcase on the Long Island Networkers group with the very, very, very talented founder, the brains of the outfit, the one and only Adam Hurd. I've talked about him a little bit in our networking episode, and now he has been gracious enough to set some time aside and kick off the first of hopefully a substantial series of episodes with a bunch of members from the Long Island Networkers organization. We're going to put on, uh, we're going to put you guys onto the work that they're doing, the amazing, talented, and unique traits that they bring to the table, and the stuff that makes their organization just a pretty awesome place to be a part of. Adam, what's going on, brother? How are you?
1: what's up rich excited to be here man thanks so much for having me that uh last podcast you did about us was one of the most incredible things i've heard as far as advocacy goes for our organization so i couldn't appreciate that more and again thanks for having me man.
0: yeah i think i think one of the biggest things with networking and what you're doing is you have strived to go out of your way to make the experience as unique as possible and with that said I want to kind of backtrack a bit into your origin story because you weren't always the head of a networking organization. On the contrary, your resume is pretty vast from being involved in mortgages, securities, financial planning, uh, charity work, uh, local government organizations. So let's let's kind of talk about one of the easiest questions I like to tell people. And that is what you want to be when you wanted to gr- when you were a kid.
1: Uh, so I had three things I wanted to be when I was about, when I was about seven years old, I wanted to be an artist. Okay. Okay. I love that. I still dabble in art now. It's one of my long-term goals when I have more free time to get back into it. So that, that ended when I realized there wasn't a lot of money in it unless I was really, really good, which I was average. Okay. (laughs) Number two is I wanted to be a, a professional basketball player. Well, I'm six feet tall. I can dunk a basketball, maybe not still today but I didn't have the dribbling skills. I got some college scholarships, but I realized at that point when I was about 16, I'm not gonna be a pro athlete. It could afford me some rights to get some free money to do some things. And at that point I uh, I was presented with an opportunity. I went to New Hyde Park High School in Long Island and I uh, was presented with an opportunity to get involved with the Academy of Finance. So there's only four of them in the entire state of New York and New Hyde Park High School has one of them. I got enrolled in that program to learn everything and anything about finance. Actually, I was going to Hofstra while I was in in high school, and uh, at that moment, I knew I wanted to be in finance for the rest of my life.
0: Now, the funny thing about that, when people always talk about their background and and things like that and what they wanted to be when they grow up, I always want to dig a little deeper because what was what was it like in terms of encouragement from like your family when that was happening? And I ask because a lot of the decisions we make always have a foundation based on either our parents wanted us to do it or they kind of pushed us on that path. So tell me a little bit about that. unpack that a little further.
1: Sure. So good question. I really like that. Um so I come from a divorced family. I had a happy childhood until seven years old. My parents divorced and uh it was like the world ended for me. And the reason that happened was my father was an entrepreneur. He ended up um, making a tremendous business and trusting the wrong people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he trusted some people that were handling the overall finances and did not do what they were supposed to. My father got a tax bill for $13.8 million. Wow. Yeah. So. That always stuck in my mind that I lost my family, my father, my way of life because someone else wasn't in control of the finances and some, and, and he was a great entrepreneur. So I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I was very scared. I was scared that what if I, what if something happens? What are all these concerns? So when I enrolled in the Academy of Finance, I learned that you can be an entrepreneur with the support of these giant corporations in America. And it was, it was a beautiful way to get everything I wanted, safety, security, um, fulfillment, have mentorship and training. But I could also kind of build my own thing within that. And uh, it was just very appealing to me that I could have the best of both worlds. So that's, that's truly what, what drove me towards banking is where I started my
0: career. So with that said, when you, when you look at that and you look at that foundational um lesson so to speak when you went into banking and finance was that always in the back of your mind like listen i have to stack as much money as possible i have to protect my family at all costs because there was always that that underlying uncertainty that you endured when you were younger That lasted for about uh an hour after i got my first banking job really yeah
1: so what happened is i realized in banking that you could not be an entrepreneur, but you certainly could give your family safety and security and guarantees and shorten. And deep down inside of my heart and my soul, I am an entrepreneur. And uh, from that first day on, I knew I got to get the hell out of here. And I ended up spending um, about five years in banking just trying to find my way through the system and what would be my next move. Um, but I really did not, at that time, I was a young man. You know, I, I got into banking. In 1999, it was November 6th, of 1999, and uh, I think it was a Saturday. I was hired, and <clears throat> at that point, I, I was like, "Okay, I, I know I want to do this, but I knew there was something deep down inside that said I could never achieve all the things I want." Okay. So I used that system to learn a lot. I learned a lot about money, a lot about banking, a lot about how to leverage other people's money—OPM, OPM, other people's money. I got all my licensing through that. I went through a tremendous um, skill set training when I got promoted or I got poached by Citigroup. Um, they were Citibank. Sandy Wilde just made it into Citigroup. And I went over there right after they repealed the Glass Steagall Act, which allowed banks and insurance companies and investment firms to merge together. So that was something that was, you know, took almost uh, 70 years to repeal. Wow. And um, and at that moment, I knew there once I, once I went into Citigroup, I said, oh, here's how you do it. Here's how it can be done. And I still had to take some time to gather all the skills, the education, um, and and then find my way through the
0: system. One of the funny things about that is that I always tell people, especially because you and I are in a similar age group, nobody ever sits us down and teaches us literally about money. Think about it. You go through high school. I think once maybe I got to see like what a W-2 looked like. And I think I was in one class and they showed like how to balance a checkbook. But then after that, it was it was nothing. I mean, I remember starting uh my first full time job at my first like full time job after like my mom had passed and they had handed me a uh, the 401k booklet. And it was I'm like, what the hell is this? And the guy who was doing the presentation says to me, hey, you know, just pick one of these. It's a mix of everything and you'll be all right. And I was like, okay, And I was off to the races. How important do you feel it is, especially in that age group, you know, coming out of high school to really give financial literacy, especially because you went into the business and when you were in it, you were like, wow, this is so much more than what I thought I knew.
1: Yeah. So you mentioned earlier on about my, um, some of my other roles that I have, which unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, I have many of them. Um, but one of them is I, I am an ambassador to United States Congress for a group called FinSECA. FinSECA stands for the financial security for all Americans. And what my role really is, is to advise the legislators in the Senate and the House of Representatives on things that are appropriate for the American security of finances. So what the citizens need, what laws would be a detriment to our industry and not allow us to perform our work. Um, So this is something that I truly believe needs to be a requirement in at a younger age throughout school, you should not be allowed to even get a job, in my opinion, until you have basic fundamentals of finance. And the reason why, Rich, is what I do for a living is every single person on the planet Earth, their part-time job. So if you don't understand your part-time job, you're not going to do it well. Not everybody needs a financial planner. Not everybody needs a financial advisor. But they all have to have a fundamental understanding of how money works, what the pitfalls are of that, how to how to use it to achieve the things you want in life, and how to not abuse it. So this is something I talk about all the time. I've even done education workshops for children. I've done them for um, large organizations. You know, I, I worked with some unions and, and did that, but uh, it is... It is just so important it is for uh, Anthony Nazalelo, one of our friends who's an attorney, he uses this word and this is the right time to use that word. It is paramount. In anyone's life, I don't care what you're doing,
0: I don't care how you're generating revenue, you have to have basic fundamentals. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think Good that question. that's a that's a big that, that's actually a, a big step into what I want to dig into a little deeper is the fact that when people go and they're trying to start. Kind of managing their money. They're managing it based on what I like to call old school values. Oh, stick your money in the savings account or, hey, buy bonds or stick your money under the mattress or, or the infamous put your money in a CD. And what happens is it's, I almost feel like it's just a a cultural and a generational way of looking at money that kind of gets instilled in us. And then it kind of just becomes a checklist go to college, get married. Make sure you have money in your, in your savings account. Make sure you have money in your 401k. As you, as you have worked in this industry for so long now, how much of that generational, I don't want to say misinformation, but that generational programming, are you breaking on a daily basis?
1: It's um, unbelievable insight that you have there because that is usually in my first meeting with my clients, um, we're talking about some basics. The second meeting we have is called an explore meeting. And one of the very first things that I have to say in that Explore meeting is what my role is for you is to really change your mindset and open up your vision to see all the opportunities that are there, all of the things that could be a positive or a negative. And the the thing is, I've been doing this 23 years. There is no product that is still the appropriate product for any one person. There is no service that is the appropriate service for one person. Finance is a very individualistic thing. It is different for each and every person. So I can't take advice from my coworker or my mom or my brother and have that work for me. It depends on what you're trying to achieve. And what I always tell people in in financial planning is it's not a product. It's a process. And the day that we go ahead and we make a decision on here's what we're going to implement Well, the next day that is expired and useless because your life in the world is going to change. So it's, it's something that is ongoing that you have to continually work on.
0: Now, you know, looking at that and sitting down with so many people, what, and usually I use this question later on, but what's something in the financial space that you've changed your mind on in like the last year while, you know, working in this industry?
1: Good question. In the last year, in the last year.
0: So, you know, as I've explained
1: before, we started the podcast. I can't I can't get into too many specifics just because I'm a fiduciary. I have seven licenses and I have a tremendous amount of regulators. So um, the, the thing that I would, I've changed is how often um, we are communicating with our clients where it used to be uh, always annually. It's a requirement. Um, right. I do I do certain clients quarterly. There is a pool of my clients that we are communicating on a month to month basis now because and not because of their personal life, but because of the global economy and things that are happening. So
0: okay.
1: as there is a drastic volatility in the world, uh, whether it's domestic or abroad, we have to be aware of that. And, there, and it's not just to protect, which is one of the biggest things that I do is I'm risk adverse and I'm a goals based investor. But the other side of that coin is when you get through that and you plan for it and you have your your items that you're going to execute when you're able to, that affords you the right to take advantage of opportunities. So it's just that there's been a lot going on lately that uh, over the past year, from COVID to election cycles. Now we're looking at a war. We're really concerned about inflation risks coming up, and then we have a midterm election. So there's a lot going on. So. That is the number one thing. Communication has been more often with my clients, prospects, and, and even friends and family.
0: Now, when when you're a- acknowledging all the volatility and things that you go into, is it one of those situations where you have to play the role of I want to say easing people's fears or kind of putting a pin in a lot of the stuff that people consume, especially now with so much access to information? It's like. You read one Yahoo finance post. All of a sudden you see one Instagram post. Then all of a sudden you're getting a call three hours later and you're like, this has nothing to do with you. How often does that happen for you? Uh, Every day, all the time. Yeah, it's, it's
1: nonstop,
0: but it's a scary concept. And the reason I'm, I'm kind of, uh, kicking off part of our conversation with this is because, you know, you bring a different approach to the business and Obviously, we talk about a lot about networking stuff, but I observe what you do with regards to how you address finance and how you engage with people by and large. And I feel that you are someone who relies and who thrives on a human approach instead of just, I'm going to help you have, you know, $50 million by the time you retire. It's wonderful to hear that, but I appreciate and respect the fact that you sit there and you, conversationally break it down for people and go, listen, you know, this is what's going on. This is what you can expect. And it's something I've picked up and I've watched observed from afar that you've been doing in all the meetings and all the things. And I want to talk about that before we move on, just the importance of that level of communication and how that's been carrying over into some of your other ventures. Have you always been a people first person or was that something that as your time in the industry um, evolved, you realized I need to be more humane in this, and let it carry over to everything else instead of it just being a numbers-driven approach.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's an excellent question and good observation. It makes me very pleased that you have seen that because that that really is what I try to portray um, and then carry out with everything that I do. So I have a motto that is not just for business; it's for business, for life. It's it carries me through everything and anything that I do. And what that is, is that I try to change people's lives, Rich, by bringing confidence and clarity to decision-making. That's all I do. In any facet of what I am doing, I'm changing their life by bringing confidence and clarity to decision-making. The only way for you to bring that confidence and clarity is to first understand what is someone looking to achieve. So you mentioned, you know, uh, it's good that you don't say, oh, you'll have $50 million of retirement. That may sound good to one person, to another person. They may say, but I wanted two hundred million." Mm-hmm. So you have to come from the human element all the time because each and every person has different goals. They have different concerns. They have a different existing situation or a future situation. So the only way to address it appropriately is by questions, 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 shut up and listen. Mm-hmm.
0: and i think that that's a big problem um especially in the current climate with the access to so much yelling into the void between twitter and everything else it's very very easy to not shut up and listen and i think a lot of what we've been dealing with um financially professionally economically is based on that simple tenet so i'm glad that you actually broke that down to such a a granular level because people that's that's, I think, the biggest pitfall of what happens. People don't shut up and listen to the other guy or put themselves in a position of empathy for the other guy. And I think that, like I said, just watching you and observing how you operate, I think you always work from a position of, number one, clarity, but also empathy. You realize, listen, this person may not have it like that, so I got to tailor my approach to that other person. And it goes back to networking because, going like I said, that's what made networking or the, the group that you're running feels so inviting and so different because like I said, you know, it wasn't a single serving transactional relationship. People wanted to actually learn about each other, help each other, help each other grow. And, you know, that leads me into what made you decide to want to get into that type of an environment, considering that you have a, a diverse talent pool of people you can connect with on your business alone. Yeah. So, Again, you have great questions,
1: Rich. And now I know why you didn't want to give me any questions beforehand. They're, they're great. So in 1999, I was with Greenpoint Bank, um, and they decided to roll out this pilot program. They were a, a, what's called a thrift savings bank. So they really just had local community savings accounts, CDs, and checking accounts. That's yep. all they did.
0: I had an account with Greenpoint. There used to be one on Hempstead, Turnpike, in Elmont.
1: Nice. There you go. <laughs> So I was, um, so they, they had told me they want to create a new stream of income to help business owners. And uh, the next year I was given the, the, the task to go out and get all these business accounts. And they said, you know, you're going to walk up and down the block and meet these business owners and, you know, tell them we're, you know, we're new in the environment. We'd love to get an opportunity to tell you all about what we're doing. So I tried that for like two weeks and nobody cared. They just didn't care. So there was a, a gentleman, um, oh man, uh, Frank Fatizi. That's his name. So his name is Frank Fatizi, and he ran the investment division inside of Greenpoint bank called investor relations. And I said, Hey man, I'm having a problem. I always see you getting all these business owners. What do you do? He's like, well, first I don't ask him to have an appointment or money. So what, what do you do? He's like, I build a relationship. He's like, I ask them questions about their life. I learn about them. I do a little bit of research before I go in there. And, I, and then I build a rapport with them. I have a relationship. Maybe the third or fourth time I tell them what I want to do. I'm like, wow, this is an unbelievable concept. I'm like, this is amazing you came up with it. He's like, Adam, it's like <laughs> business one one. It's called networking, pal. <laughs> so that gentleman changed the course of my life and um, and really made me understand that it's not about what I have to offer. It's about what other people need, and I can't understand what other people need unless I build some sort of a relationship because there's a wall that's put up. So in order to get that wall down and to have some, some level of trust to open up, then you, you need to build a relationship first. So that taught me an amazing thing. So I've been in this business 23 years. Over the course of that time, I've used that tactic. I've been a part of Chambers of Commerce, BNI, La Tip, I've gone to random networking events, all these other things. And I got frustrated a few years back that every single place I was going, with my level of experience and people got to know who I was, all they wanted to do, am I allowed to curse on this? Yeah. Or no.
0: We'll just market
1: accordingly. All, all I wanted to do, all these people wanted to do is sell me their shit. And I'm like, you know, hey, Adam, can I sit down and meet with you? Sure. I'd go there and, like, here, here, here's my bucket of stuff I want you to do for me. And I want you to buy from me. And how can you help me? And I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah, I can help you. I, there. It just was nonstop. And I'm like, there's no value in this for me. Right. Like, I am helping other people, but it's not a two way street. The second piece was every event I was going to just sucked. It was like at a Panera Bread. You know, I love Panera Bread, but I, I don't want to, you know, eat there all the time. And, and you know, it's like Starbucks and go in there and have a or a diner in the morning and I have a cold omelet by the time it got to me. And it was just like, I didn't like the environment. So I wasn't having fun. I wasn't building any kind of relationships. And it was just, it seemed dead for me. And I'm like, I'm not going to do this anymore. So I said, forget that. It's not that I'm not going to do it. I'm going to recreate the way I want to have it done. So the goal was I wanted to have committed Long Island business owners that are willing to be there to help the rest of the community. They weren't there for themselves. The second thing is I wanted to have it at nicer establishments where we could actually enjoy the time we spent together and we didn't feel rushed through. It wasn't like I always try to do our stuff in private rooms, um, and have more enjoyable food. Uh, I love to eat food. I know me and you have talked about cooking and everything. I love to cook. It's one of my favorite things, but I like to go out. And when I go out, I want it to be something that's enjoyable instead of just fuel for my body. Right. So those two things came together. I'm like, how do I create this? And uh, and, and literally, I had a meeting on a on a Friday um, with two other gentlemen who are part of a lot of networking groups. Rich Cruz, one of them. Right. Um, and another gentleman who, uh, just isn't around with us anymore. But the next morning I said, I was thinking about it and I'm like, just do it, just do it. And I just created it. I wrote a mission, a vision, a business plan. I created an Instagram account and I was off to the races.
0: That's it. It's, it's amazing to me that it's one of the things that you've preached a lot and you've talked about just execution and pulling that trigger, because when you run into things like this, like the networking group and everything else. You execute, but I also appreciate the fact that you put caps on that execution and i want to I want to mention to everyone Adam not too long ago did a call or he did an Instagram live sharing metrics, successes, goals, and aspirations for the group and i you know I'm not going to blow smoke up his ass it's true that he was very very meticulous, but also very transparent in the fact that he said, this is the goal I have for this group. This is where I'd like it to be. If I don't get to this goal, you know, then sometimes you got to You got to chop the head mm-hmm. off the chicken and keep it moving. Now, with that said, how tough or what kind of challenges do you feel internally sometimes when you set those goalposts for yourself? Because sometimes we're, we're reaching the end of that journey and it'll be like, eh, I could probably tough it out for a few more weeks. Do you run into that often? Do you have like those struggles personally as an entrepreneur where you want to sometimes you got to cut the cord and you can't for different reasons?
1: Yeah, it's probably one of my biggest detriments in life is that I I have a tough time letting go, Mm. especially when I'm extremely passionate about something um, or if I'm the one who came up with the idea. Right. I just, my ego gets in the way. Uh, and I'm like, I got to make sure I prove to whoever I'm proving. I don't even know who I'm proving it to. Um, it's just my, myself yesterday. You know, that's who I'm in competition with. Yep. But um, it's always like, I got to do it. So I tend to give things a little bit more time than I should. Um, and that's why I try to set um, attainable goals. Of course, I have big picture items. You know, I have, I have a seven year goal for my business. I have all these other items. You know, I know I have my life planned out until 97. So that's when I've decided I'm going to die. <laughs> um, so it's, it's just that sometimes, yeah, it's, it's really, really difficult to, to say no. And, um, I did an exercise with the business development council back when we were a private group. Now we're open to everybody uh, for Long Island networkers. And one of the things is we had to do our um, stop, start, continue. And we had to tell everybody in that group, what are we going to start doing? What are we going to stop doing? And what are we going to continue doing? And my what was I going to start doing was saying no more often. And uh, that was my challenge in, in 2021. And I, I became very good at it. I became comfortable with it. So I've gotten better because I've worked on it. I recognized it was a problem. I've worked on the issue. It's still not perfect. I don't think honestly it ever will be, but I'm aware of it. And
0: I can really take more clear. I've given myself
1: confidence and clarity.
0: (laughs) No, you you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that. And I, and I wanted to mention it as well, because it's a struggle I've had. And I said, um, I forgot, I always forget to credit the right person, but someone said in a podcast and it's been regurgitated a few times that if it's not a hell, yes, it's a no. and People are so tripped out about that. And I want to give a shout out to uh, Tom Marino because I remember we were all talking about something and uh, right before the last meeting and I said to him, I go, yeah, you know, when you say no and you and he he mentioned it as well. And I said, no becomes the boundary. And he reinforced that when he did his presentation. And then we were talking about it and I realized it more I was more receptive to it because I saw it. The minute that you say no, or you set that boundary, then it becomes going back to, uh, from a sales perspective, then it's like, well, why is it no? What's stopping you from, from doing it? And the thing about it is when you set that boundary for anybody else and for anything else in your business, people always want to push a little extra to get to the bottom of that no. And I mentioned this because I wanted to ask, How do you, how do you combat that when you have to say no, whether it's personally or professionally and people want to push that extra inch and sometimes you don't want to hurt that person's feelings or you don't want to jeopardize a business relationship. Like, Hey, your idea sucks. I'm saying no, because I don't want to tell you it sucks, but I'm just saying no, because it's an easier way to kind of cut the cord. How do you, how do you balance that?
1: So, uh, I was taught by another gentleman,
0: Frank Scalisey,
1: that it's funny. It's a lot of Franks in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was taught by another gentleman that, you know, it's it's better sometimes to show somebody why the current thing that they're doing is not in their best interest. And you're actually doing them a favor by letting them go. Because they shouldn't have been in that situation in the first place. Mm-hmm. Right? You tried it out. You gave it your best effort, but you should not continue because it's not going to improve your career, your life, your relationships, anything else. So what I've learned to do is, is have compassion and understand how I can let myself or somebody else know this is no longer a, a viable option, uh, but it's in your best interest. And I try to show them why. So I never come to something that's just I don't like you. I'm sick and tired of that. You know, I don't like the project. It's there has to be validation of a reason of why this needs to stop and what can happen because of that. Mm. So I try to approach it in that method. Um, I, I have a ritual that I fire clients on a weekly basis. Okay. Um, so I call clients up and I fire them. Now that doesn't mean they don't get to work with me anymore, but they don't get to do a certain aspect of what I'm doing with them. Okay. Um, and it's just it's it's something that I'm showing them, hey, you don't need me for this anymore. You need me for that. So I'm firing you as this
0: role and we'll work together on that role.
1: Or maybe we won't work together at all.
0: Um, so. So, well, you know what? Now that you mentioned that, it's like it's like so, uh, you know, I want to break down that process a little bit more. So when you run into that, because I want people that are listening to this to to, to learn from you when you're when you're making those decisions, what are. What are at what are at minimum three indicators you look for when you say to yourself, I need to fire this client?
1: Sure. Um, <laughs> the worst one is that they're not taking the advice that I'm giving them and implementing. It, right. So that's always the first thing. And that, that should be with anything. If, I'm, right. if someone's in my networking group and they're, they're there, but they're not implementing the value they just got out of the speaker or the people who are there, they probably shouldn't be a part of the group anymore. So are you implementing the purpose of what we're doing? That's number one. Um, number two is I, I am finding that the what they are utilizing or what they're paying for is no longer improving their life, their business, their relationship, whatever it may be. So there's not a need for it anymore. It has actually become a crutch. Mm-hmm. So you can get off on your own and go ahead and do everything. You got all the tools. It's time to push the birdie out of the nest. Gotcha. And the third thing is they're an asshole. And I, I don't like dealing with assholes. And you know what? I don't need to deal with them. Um, I certainly don't look for them. And I am not one. So if you're, if you're that person, you can't be in my circle.
0: It's, it's interesting because, and I want to give a little clarity to that for, for, for people that are listening to this. When we were at our last meeting, you were talking about, um, after Jeremy's presentation, and you were talking about that one difficult person that you couldn't help regardless. And you were just like, that person just couldn't be helped. And I want to close things out with that, with regards to just networking and how you've run your business. How do you, how do you manage when someone, when you reach a point where a person is just not flexible, but you also have a relationship with them and don't want to, you kind of want to let them off gently. You were talking about firing, you were talking about, you know, when people are assholes, how do you juggle that? Because sometimes our own bias gets in the way and we're like, listen, you're being an asshole and you, I, I got to cut you off. I can't, you know, but you also want to keep a level of decorum in your line of work. So so talk me through that. Talk me through the balance of that.
1: Uh, do, does somehow. it Do
0: you run off the rails? Does it happen, though? Yeah, well,
1: does it happen? Yes. But okay. I, I think so. Here's the thing is. I I think I can be more blunt with people because of the situation i'm in in life and Mm -hmm. the experience that i have and and where i'm at so there's a lot of people that are new business owners they don't have the options like i have and they have to kind of do things almost out of desperation at certain points Yep. where i just i don't rely on any i could fire all my clients and i'd be fine right it's it's but it took me a long time to get there and i'm still not all the way there i have seven years left but it's like it's it's hard to think back how I used to do it before then because I might not have done it as much. So I'm not saying that th- there's a certain situation, Rich, where you you can't fire somebody, you can't let go of them because you rely on it for one way, shape, or form. Um, on that, what I try to what I used to try to do, and, and oh, good. Now I'm through talking this out, I'm I'm remembering what uh-huh. happened. So I remember I used to do a lot of retirement stuff for clients, and like I knew. They needed more, so I would. I I used to. Oh my gosh, I remember when I used to do this. Now it was called Profiles Forecast. That was the name of the software. I used to offer people complimentary financial plans, and I'm like, "Look, I'm not going to ask you to pay for this, but you need to do this to better your life. You can't just do what we're doing, right? And if that's all you're going to do, we can't work together. So I would offer a complimentary thing, put them through a system, they, they'd walk out of that better. So I've done this a lot in my life, and many things is I give a tremendous more value up front um, than I am asking for in return, or I'm getting monetarily compensated for. I just constantly give and give and give. And it, it has afforded me the best quality of life that I've ever dreamed. I and actually never dreamed of this. It's uh it's it's a, it's surpassed anything I thought I could accomplish. And it's because I'm always willing to put more in than I am
0: think I'm going to get out of it. Last one before we, we shift gears, how do you balance and educate and pass down what you've learned and the successive successes you've attained to your children? Like, how do you, how do you package those lessons? Because there's, there's, there's always the baseline ones like, Hey, you're not always going to win or you're not, et cetera. But when it comes to this stuff, you know, you have high highs and I show, I'm sure you've bumped into. Some low lows and some things where you've questioned yourself. How do you how do you impart that wisdom now to your to your family in general? Because a lot of people they struggle with that. You know, nobody's nobody's comfortable talking about the losses with their family because it's always like, and you may you may feel this way or not. We're always viewed as the pillar of our family. You know, for people to draw strength from us.
1: Yeah. So I do not. I didn't. I do not have kids. I am a father.
0: That's what so I like many
1: people just gave birth to a child and there's this little person running around their house. I decided I am going to be a father. So I love my father to death, but he wasn't a father. He was, he was just my dad, you know, like he, and he, and he couldn't be because of many different situations. I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not resentful of it or anything else. It was just a situation he was in and the way he was raised. Right. So The way that I have determined in my life to be the best father is by not talking, just action. I show them what I do by example. I do this in my businesses. I do this with my wife. I do this with my family, my friends. It's just here is what I'm doing. Follow my lead. Then the second thing that I do is when my children ask me a question, I will answer that question. I never say because. I ask them questions. I will spend an hour talking about something until, I mean, my daughter is, she's six and she goes through, you know, the whole why is the sky blue thing and we will go through that. And I, I never lose. Like I never lose because I will keep going. They get exhausted, but they got a tremendous amount of knowledge out of that. And then another thing that I decided to do when my son was born, he's 10 is I, I told my wife and said, I i was hearing other people that had babies recently the way they were acting around their children and their children are a few years old. And I said, I will never be that person. It was the baby talk and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm going to talk to my children as adults. So the other day I was at a baseball game. My son got hit in the face. He wears glasses, glasses broke, everything else. I went to the car, got taped, taped them all up, put them back on his head. He didn't want to leave. He did not want to leave the game. He's on the bench at the moment. The coach is there with me. And he puts the glasses on me and the coach is like, Adam, can you see? So I I hold up my middle finger and I say, Tyler, how many fingers do I have? He's like, well, you got the fuck you one up. And he's 10. And I said, hey, boy, you're lucky the other kids aren't around when you said that. So I'll talk to him in that manner. And they know when I curse, it means something. I don't use it in my everyday language just as, as a filler. There's a purpose when I curse. But I talk to them as adults. My son is way smarter than I am. And I think that's because I've given him the opportunity to really explore life through my eyes. And then I give him autonomy to do research. So nice. that's that's the way that I, I've been a parent. And then you asked me about the highs and the lows. Um, there's nothing hidden. My wife struggles with this because she came from an, an immigrant family. She's first um, first generation American. I'm sixth generation American. I am open. I'm an open book about anything and everything. And I share everything with my kids, goods, bads. I let them know exactly how daddy's going to deal with this, how mommy's going to work through this with us. So I'm lucky that there's more successes than failures. But I tell them that the failures are the most important thing you'll ever get out of your life because that's where you learn. Successes are easy, man. But the failure is how you build character, how you build strength, how you build calluses in your heart and your soul and your mind
0: to really have the fortitude to move forward in life and be a better human being. Outstanding. Um, a, a good friend of mine, he runs a fatherhood group. He uses the phrase presence over presence. And hearing that you are you're embodying that you're just there like, yeah, it's cool. Here's the, here's the, here's your new Xbox. But you're you're bringing incredible value to to your family by just being that transparent. And we need more of that. I think the next generation of entrepreneurs and creators, we need that. They need that from their parents. Like I strive to do it. You're you're obviously doing it. And I think that that's a great way to to really drive that home by showing people like, look, Adam, Adam is like the rest of us. He's got awesome wins. He's got cool stuff going on, but he has his struggles, too. But the best part of it all is he's super transparent about it.
1: Well, I'll give a shameless plug to myself. Oh, uh, yeah. This is what there's we're something there's something that I'm going to launch in the spring of 2023 called Mind Body Biz. Right. And that has a lot to do with what you just said. I'm really trying to help young young entrepreneurs have a harmony between their mind, their body, and their business. And a lot of it has to do with just who you are as a human being. So uh, hopefully we can all together, whoever's going to be involved with this with me, um, and I've spoken a little bit to you about it, Rich, mm-hmm. to help me out with some stuff. Hopefully we can literally change the world. I know it's a big thing to say, but... Even if it's a little bit, I think we can change the world and make this a better place.
0: The best successes come in small victories. So I'm I'm excited to I'm excited to see you work when when that when that when that comes to fruition. I think it's gonna be uh interesting because and you know, we'll close out with that. You know, a lot of times we get preached about the hustle culture and the grind, and you gotta embrace it and this and this and this. And then we wake up and we realized man, I missed I missed that play date or I missed that baseball game with my kid or I didn't go to that one recital or this concert or whatever. And it's like my bank account is fulfilled, but my soul isn't. And I think that what you're trying to accomplish and what you're trying to achieve is important and it's necessary because we just get it hammered in. You don't sleep, you know, always be plugged in, always be available, always do this. And you know who ends up not getting the benefit of that availability? Those closest to us. That's right. I
1: would agree.
0: All right. So I do a series of rapid fire questions. We call it the hot seat and um, a lot of different things, personal business, et cetera. So first and foremost, when you wake up in the morning and you go to your phone or your laptop, where's the first place you go?
1: Uh, As of recently, Instagram.
0: Yep. You've been doing a massive Instagram push. And uh, the funny thing is, I'll tell everybody, Adam is always trying to level up his presentation on Instagram from, you know, skits, videos, photos, reels, et cetera, always learning, always, always evolving and always adapting. So I see it, man. And I hope everybody sees it as well and appreciates it.
1: I love it. It's look, it was, uh, it was, this is my, um, cost of getting an education in this. I'm going to apply this to two other businesses that I'm going to use in the future. And, uh, I'm I'm getting educated every day. And the second app I go to, the second thing I do every day is called the calm app. So I meditate
0: right after that. Really? Yep. Every day. Nice. How long do you meditate for and how long did it take you to get comfortable meditating? Uh,
1: I am, I am, it it didn't take me long to get comfortable with it. Surprisingly. Um,
0: and I've gotten really good at it now. It's
1: pretty cool. But, um, how long do I do it? Anywhere between seven and 20 minutes, depending on what's going on that day, how much time I have until the next thing. But
0: I try to get it in every single day. Do you journal or do anything else to kind of keep your mind at peace or is calm the the, the, the end-all be-all for that?
1: No, yeah, I do what I'm doing now. So I, I get paid to talk and that's my uh, outlet.
0: Awesome. Um, What's your favorite piece of tech besides your phone and your computer?
1: Ooh. Besides my phone and computer, it's my favorite piece of tech. Uh, ooh, so much! I love this question. Um, let's see. All right, it's it's got to be my jewel, J O U L E. So it's a sous vide cooker. Nice. It. Uh, I mean. It's just like mwah, beautiful steaks and unbelievable pork chops. And just it's so much fun to cook with that. Yep. And it's actually it's made my life easier. The end result is better. And I love it. And it's all through an app. And Athens, it's really a tremendous piece of tech.
0: Nothing. Nothing is better than a great reverse seared ribeye when you yeah. do the sous vide. Yes, indeed. Very cool. Um, what was the last book you read? I know you run a book club. So yep. Uh who not how by Dan Sullivan.
1: And uh, it's really the, the concept of it is instead of figuring out how to
0: do things, figure out who should do those things. Nice. Outsource your weaknesses and, and emphasize your strengths. To a certain extent. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, what was the last television show you watched with your family?
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, we don't watch television shows together. We watch movies together. Okay, that works shoot um yeah so what was the (laughs) it was uh Mr. Rogers Neighborhood the Tom Hanks movie really and uh we didn't realize what that movie was about oh man my (laughs) six-year-old my six-year-old was not like a fan of it Uh,
0: you know I ran into that when I watched um I think it was Christopher Robin the one about Winnie the Pooh. And I was just yeah. like, What did I just watch? <laughs> it was heartbreaking. We um, built uh I
1: built a movie theater in my house, a nine press movie theater, and uh just to do like family mm-hmm. uh family movie nights and then like I do UFC fights at my house. And uh so it's been a great experience, a great way to bring our family together. And my daughter has picked Encanto, that's next because she's watched it 727 times, mm-hmm. but the rest of the family hasn't watched it. And she's like, You guys need to watch this,
0: so you know that's it's funny. Like, that's on the list for this weekend. You, you know, I'll I'll tell you uh, something funny about that. Um if you grew up in a uh, a lot of these movies are interesting like obviously uh me being Hispanic like I watched that movie and there's so many adult messages in there that when you watch it you're like holy crap I think I need therapy because you're like <laughs> that was me. I relate to this person. So, you know, it's funny <laughs> that more and more kids movies do that and then we watch them and we're just like Oh my god, please don't let my kid have picked up on that. Right, right. Yeah, so me and cool. my
1: wife look me and my wife look over at
0: each other with like the side eye every once in a while in yep. they're, they're good. They're yeah. funny moves. Yeah, they sneak some stuff in there. Um, what's a website you recommend to people often?
1: 642advising.com. Advising back home.
0: <laughs> uh, My man, I was hoping. So <laughs> to, to, to quote what everybody was telling Tom, promote your own stuff. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> um what was your favorite toy or collectible from your childhood? Toy
1: or collectible from my childhood. Um I mean I I look my name's Adam, right? So I loved He-Man. My man. And I so I had, you know, I had Castle Grayskull and I had Thumper, I had everything, man. It was and I had the the real big ones that were, you know, back in the 80s when yep. toys were real toys. Yep. And uh so I loved that. I loved I loved all my He-Man stuff.
0: It's funny because my daughter's into it now. So I bought her He-Man stuff because the new series is on Netflix. So bought her all the He-Man toys and she gets to play with all that stuff. It's awesome, man. Um, did the pandemic make you more or less productive? More, way more. Way more.
1: So interesting fact, I'll, I'll try to keep it rapid. But So when my daughter was born in 2015, like I said, I'm a parent. I didn't just have kids. I decided I wanted to build an at-home office and work from home as much as I possibly could. And I started slowly converting my clients to doing, at the time, Skype meetings. Uh, So when 2020 happened, like I was already doing that for four and a half years. So all the people that always fought me and said, oh, I want to come to your office. And I have a beautiful, beautiful 35,000 square foot office in East Hills, Long Island. And they all wanted to come. They're like, ah, so we can't come. Can we do this Skype thing? And I'm like, sure. So it just, it's so I always say. I'm a very lucky person. But the way that you define luck, at least the way I define luck, and I think it came from Oprah Winfrey, is it's preparation meeting opportunity. I agree. Oh,
0: I was super prepared. The opportunity came and I became way more productive. What's a business milestone in the last few months that you're proud of?
1: I would have to say that it's decisions that I've made in how to chart the course for the next seven years. Uh, I was struggling of trying to do it all. And I always had the FOMO because I have all these different licenses. And I have revenue streams from a variety of different sources in finance. And uh, I never want to leave money on the table. And I made a big decision to get laser focused on a few things. And it is it has changed It has changed everything about me. It has changed my happiness. It has changed my stress levels. It has changed my productivity. And it's just made me more passionate. So just making those few decisions on here's really what I'm going to execute on and what I'm going to do and the other stuff I'll delegate, outsource, or eliminate was very, very hard, Richard,
0: but uh,
1: I'm glad I did.
0: Awesome. Uh, Last two questions. What is something that you splurge on when it comes to business and personal development?
1: Business and personal development. Um,
0: So I'll I'll invest in other people.
1: So it's business and personal development. I invest in other people to learn more about what they're doing, why they're doing it. And that could be, you know, I went and something silly. I went and saw uh, Anthony Nazalillo play in his band last week. And, you know, just went. That was an investment of my time. I didn't have that time to do that that night, but I went and did it. Um, I will invest in supporting someone's charity so I can be involved. I went to a cigar night for the Association for Facility Engineers and, uh, you know, ticket was $125. I spent $300 in raffle tickets and it was more to support someone who supported me and learn about things. How do they operate this? Why do they do it? So experiences is what I spend my discretionary
0: income on. Awesome. Last one. What is something that you've purchased that is less than $100 that's made your life easier or more enjoyable?
1: Uh I have a, a a tripod with a ring light.
0: Nice.
1: I think it cost me like 30 bucks. I use it for the zoom meeting. I use it for when I'm creating content. I use it for I took a picture during Christmas of my family in our Christmas pajamas. I used it. It's just it's it's a very utilitarian uh everyday tool that cost me I think 30 bucks. Nice.
0: Last one is we always like to impart an additional nugget of value. We like to call it reach one, teach one. And in your case, um, you're speaking to a group of high school seniors on the way out, getting ready to embark on college or their post high school careers. They want to get into the finance space. What's one piece of advice you'd give them to help them start on that journey?
1: Uh, EFIR, E-F-I-R. It's evaluate, formulate, implement, repeat. Evaluate,
0: formulate, implement, repeat. Nice. That's a, that's a hell of a way to close that out. Adam, <laughs> if people want to connect with you, where can they find you? How can they connect with you? It, the floor is yours.
1: Sure. Uh, so for my business, 642advising.com, my benefits business, LemonadeBenefits.com. Uh, on 642 advising, there's ways to book appointments with me, calendar invites, all that good stuff. Uh, Long Island Networkers, plural. So that's longislandnetworkers.com. Uh, you can find us. Instagram is, is where we do most of our stuff, but we are across all the social media platforms. That's at Long Island Networkers. Um, and anytime, DM me. You want to get together. You want to shoot the shit. You got some questions. You have a good idea. I'm always open and willing to listen and uh, see if there's something, how I can be a resource to you, your listeners, or anybody else.
0: Awesome. Adam, thank you for taking the time to share the toys and tech of your trade. Thanks. Truly appreciate Adam taking the time out to chop it up with us and share the toys and tech of his trade. If you want to connect with Adam, keep up with his work and follow any of his businesses. We'll make sure to link to all of them in the show notes for this episode. And there are plenty, folks, so definitely uh, make sure to check those show notes for that stuff. Last but not least, if you want to keep up with Rageworks and everything that we're doing, you can find Rageworks on any of the social media platforms that you use. So punch in Rageworks and you will find us. Most of the time, I am managing those accounts, but occasionally we have team members that tag in, help us out, and run some of those accounts. So if it's anything pressing, feel free to email me rich at Rageworks.net. The same goes for being a guest on a future episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade. You can email me rich at Rageworks.net or visit the site RageWorksNetwork.com and check out the contact form there, and you can fill that out to be a guest on our podcast or be on any of the other great shows that we have on the RageWorks Podcast Network. Speaking of shows, if you want to have your very own podcast be part of the RageWorks family, you can email me via the same email, and we can discuss. As I said uh, earlier on in the episode, we definitely pride ourselves on taking a lot of the heavy lifting out of podcast creation and giving you the tools, the services, and everything you need so that all you have to do is press record. That's it. It's very simple. And again, we allow you to leverage the RageWorks Podcast Network audience to build an audience for your show. Or you may just want us to handle all the heavy lifting and not even be on the network. We do that too. Again, feel free to reach out via email. Last but not least, if you enjoyed this episode or the podcast as a whole, uh please feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify which now has reviews. Every review helps. We want to read them on air. Down the line, we want to give away some stuff to people that leave reviews. And more importantly, we just want to always keep social proof out there because it is crucial for not only our podcast but just for business in general, you want to hear those positive experiences. And you want to share them with potential clients, advertisers, etc. So if you got a second or two, uh, feel free to hit that five star. Or if you got an extra minute, uh, write something and we will share it on a future episode. All right, I'm gonna keep it short and sweet, not keep you guys too much longer. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you in two weeks for a brand new episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade. Thanks for listening. Peace. and Tech of the Trade is part of the RageWorks Podcast Network. Your source for rants about gaming, entertainment, and the works. Visit us at rageworksnetwork.com.